Welcome to the prolific teaching ministry of Pastor Emmanuel Iren, lead pastor of Celebration Church International. It is his vision to partner with you for your progress and joy in the faith. Ready, set, grow. Philippians 1.25 It says, And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith. Everybody, Philippians 1.25 Read together, one, two, go. Hallelujah. Can you say, furtherance of faith? You see, this is the hallmark of Celebration Church. The fact that fellowship with the saints is not meant to be business as usual. For a lot of people, it's business as usual. They go to church for the sake of it. You know, I was following up on someone this morning. And I said, this new city that you moved to, where, do you, where have you been worshipping? Fellow mentioned the name of the church. And I said, oh pastor so and so he said i don't even know the name of the pastor in my mind i'm like that means you're not listening it's not about knowing people per se but you see god wants to assimilate you into places so that you can benefit from the warmth from the fellowship so that you can be accountable and so that you can grow not just so you say i went to church but so you can say I am growing. This is where I was a few years ago, and this is where I am now. That's the testimony of everyone who comes to Celebration Church. Growth. Growth. Noticeable, discernible growth. Consistent growth. That's God's plan for your life. If you're new here, or maybe you're here for the first time, I want you to know this is God's plan for you. This is what God wants to achieve with your life in this ministry. In this ministry, grow. You see, the word continue is the, is the Greek word superamenos. Super you know, we don't all know the pronunciation, but we know what it means. It's actually some parameno. I beg your pardon. It means to stay near. Can you nudge the person by your side? Say, stay near. Stay near. near. It means to abide, to persevere. It's talking about proximity, talking about warmth. Hallelujah. So, gone are the days where you just come in, you stay anonymous, the person by your side does not know who you are, and you just disappear. God wants more for you. Did you hear what I said? He wants you to abide. God's idea for the body of Christ is a family. Hallelujah. It's not possible that you have a brother and a sister that you don't know. Maybe in the body of Christ generally, but in the local assembly, there should be 10, 20 people that you have close relationship with. There is no deeper relationship known to mankind than the relationship in the Lord. None. And that should be your reality in life. Hallelujah. I'm not saying it has to be like that for you, but in my life, when I'm going through stuff, the first people I speak to are believers. Before I I, I can tell you, there are believers in Christ. I dare say people in this local church that know me better than my siblings. 
Hallelujah. Because, you know, the same blood is thicker than water. It applies to biological relationship. But what we have in common is the blood of Christ. So, yeah, blood is thicker than water. And sometimes, you know, your biological folks will respond emotionally. But the brothers in Christ will respond spiritually. When, when you say, um, I got a job in the U.S., but I want to pray because there are some things I'm supposed to do in Nigeria. Help me pray which one I should do. Your brother at home will hear U.S. It won't take him time. You know what I'm saying. And don't blame them. They want the best for you. But your best really is in Christ. Hallelujah. Say thank you, Jesus. One of the greatest things God can do for you is to plant you around people who really care for you in the Lord. There are people who claim to care for you in the world. <laughs> and will tell you, ah, ah, you mean you don't drink? How old did you say you are? You don't drink. Me buy stuff for you. You know, there are people who put, you know, drugs in their friend's meal. Just because they are determined for that friend to be taking the kind of stuff that they take. But when you have people who care for you in the Lord, it's so powerful. Hallelujah. Take advantage of the opportunity of fellowship in the Lord. If this is all you take home, it's enough. But well, that's not all what you were. In fact, we only just started. And then he says, continue. Because you see, consistency is important. Conviction thrives on consistency. Hallelujah. That's how you build disciples. By repetition and emphasis. You don't just say, okay, I know what you're going to say. Uh-uh. You need to hear it again and again. And that's why we show off as often show up as often as we do. You continue in the word. There must be a consistency to it, a diligence to it, repetition, emphasis. Because abiding amplifies impact. Did you hear what I said? Abiding, when you plant yourself, it says you're profiting, your progress will appear to all. There is a way to have the word of God walk in your life and really build you up. And it works better when you abide. Jesus was given a parable, you know, in Matthew chapter 13. And he described, used metaphors to describe how many people receive the word of God. Some will fall among, by the wayside, some amongst thorns, you know. And he described a particular category of people. And he says, these are the people who have the word of God fall in stony places. In Matthew chapter 13 verse 20, he says, But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word of God and immediately receives it with joy. So joy is his attitude. He receives it with joy. Make no mistake. He unknown receives it with joy. But he says, yet because he has no root in himself, so he has the word, but he's not rooted. He's not grounded. Oh, glory to God. Are you listening to me? Because he has no root in himself, 
It endures only for a while. Have you seen people who were on fire years ago and are not on fire now? You were wondering what happened. This is what happened. They were just excited. But they had no accountability. They did not abide. They did not continue. So the moment, you know, they were out of that campus fellowship. It, it, for many people, it started at NYC. Now they found themselves in a state, nobody to look out for you, and they did not immediately assimilate themselves in another fellowship. That's where the decline started. Some of you know exactly what I'm saying. This is important because they had no root in themselves. It just endured for a while. But when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, he immediately stumbles. You see, this is how to know if you have grown. It doesn't matter what you think you know. What you know is what you do under pressure. What you really know is what you do under pressure. You know, when you have maybe like a pickup game, you're playing basketball or football, many people, because there's no trophy to be won, many people are more likely to exhibit more skill. You know, you want to show off, or maybe you're just learning a skill. And all of that is cool. But can you use that skill when it matters the most in a game? I hope you know that's a different thing. It's a different thing entirely. Or you go to a fight gym and you're practicing fancy fight moves. Some of us, when we were growing up, we used to watch Jackie Chan. You know, and you like the moves. You want to fight someone. And you're doing like this. <laughs> go to Oshodi and try that. <laughs> go to Oshodi. Want to fight? You tell the person, wait. You know? The person will wait for you. <laughs> Hallelujah. And I, I saw a pastor friend post a quote by Mike Tyson. He said, every fighter has a plan until he's punched in the mouth. <laughs> you know, when, when they punch you, it is what is really inside. You'll be amazed. You, a man, will start fighting like this. You'll be, you'll be, you'll be, you'll be wondering how come. <laughs> it's just, they will draw it out. You don't know when you say, Mommy, you know. <laughs> Praise the Lord. The same thing applies spiritually. If you are not grounded, you'll be swept away. That's no prophecy of doom. It's just the way it is. It's something for you to know something in your head. It is one thing for you to know something in your head, it's another thing for you to seep into your spirit. To soak well, to take a hold of you, to carry you. Hallelujah. So that when the pressure comes, it will rise to the occasion, rise to the surface. That's what discipleship does. That's God's plan for your life. If you are not careful, your conviction will change. And your progress will be lost. That's the painful part. Your progress will be lost. Go. 
God wants you to grow. Can you nudge the person by your side gently? Say, God wants you to grow. Hold the person on the shoulder like you care. Say, God wants you to grow. I didn't say tap. I said, <laughs> some of you are so violent. <laughs> Glory to God. You see, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 1, you see, you could literally see Paul's emotions leaping out of the pages of the book as you read Galatians. He was bothered. He was bothered. Because you see, he had taught these words in the word, but the way they received the word, stony places. It endured for a while. When the word was tested, they began to change their convictions, to shift their positions. And so Paul, this, this is a rebuke in Galatians chapter 3 verse 1. He said, oh foolish Galatians, oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? The Greek word bewitched means to be fascinated by false representations. Like when, you know, a con artist comes at you and just says, see, there's money here. Shh, shh, shh. No money. And like, ah! Mado, you know. <laughs> Some of you are too easily impressed. Too easily impressed. You've learned something in the word of God and someone comes with some lofty explanations and representations that are sound in presentation but are false in essence. That was how Apollos was. Eloquent, but he didn't really have the substance. Many people don't know the difference. The moment someone is just talking, you do and has gesticulations and is demonstrating that, oh, wow. You have a point. <laughs> People just like effects. But when it all comes down to it, what is being said? Is it true? You have to be discerning. The church at Galatia, they were carried away. He said, oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who jazzed you in lo local palate? Who jazzed? This is jazz. Are you the one talking like this? You? You? And this is, don't forget what we're talking about. The need to abide. If you're, if you're not planted, listen, you, can, you know you can have half-hearted participation in something. But that's not the way to grow. If you really want to grow, throw yourself into the knowledge of God. Listen carefully to all that is being said. Listen. Listen. This, this word is for someone here. And you will need it. Throw yourself. Paul said to Timothy, Timothy, I was Timothy. <laughs> Paul said to Timothy, he said, give yourself wholly to this thing. Throw yourself into it. That's how to grow. Otherwise, they might have to call you, oh, foolish bola. What happened to you? What happened? Is this you? Is this you? After all your knowledge in the Lord, now a prophet asks you to bring honey and sugar and wrap it in a red cloth. Listen, you may laugh now, but when pressure comes, if you're not careful, just it might work. You don't. 
Some people, I'm, I'm telling you. When you hear people were involved in silly things like blood money, do you think they, they wanted, many of them did not think they could do it. They just didn't abide. They didn't allow the word of God sink into them properly. That's what we're talking about. Praise the Lord. You have to show attitude. When you're listening to the word of God, when it's time to praise, praise. When it's time to pray, pray. When you're listening to the word, take good notes. Have a notepad. Have a pen. Take good notes. Praise the name of the Lord. Said, oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Because they forgot all the things that you taught them. They forgot at the slightest appearance of pressure. You see, and you see, some of us, it is our background, where we are coming from, it still has a hold on, on us. For instance, just for instance, if, if you were a Muslim and at a particular time in the year, you always slaughtered, you know, ram. When that calendar time comes, it will feel like, ah, no killing ram. Of which that, that example is very petty. It doesn't really matter. Feel free to kill ram and eat. There's no, God is not against that. But it matters, you know, what, what you're doing it for. Do you understand what I'm saying? But when it all comes down to it, a lot of us is just our background. What... What we were taught growing up, it has become a stronghold. And now, even when you know better, I don't want to give examples because all the examples I gave, you know, they involve true life occurrences, and I've not asked the people if I can share with you. Hallelujah. The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 15, for instance, tells us the gospel was spreading in the early church. And eventually, even Pharisees began to receive the gospel. And that was good. At least it was meant to be. But they did not let go of that stronghold of their past, their past convictions and beliefs. So it became a problem. And so not that long after they had believed, Acts chapter 15 verse 5, the Bible says these Pharisees began to insist that believers in Christ must be circumcised and they must do all the laws of Moses in Christ. Oh, yes, we are believers, but all these things must still continue. Traditions. It became a huge problem. A huge problem. Praise the name of the Lord. Because now they had received the word of God but they had not yet renewed their mind. They thought they knew it. They're the type of people who will listen to the first part of a series and then you don't find them for the rest. And then they say they heard it. You did not hear it. No, you didn't. Praise the name of Jesus. And it became a huge issue. Now, these guys cost a lot of havoc. Just because they would not just sit down and listen. So on days like this, what we stand for must be re-buttressed, re-emphasized. 
you will never come to a point in your life where you will not need to hear the gospel. Because the same gospel that saves the lost strengthens the conviction of the saved. So even as a born-again child of God, you will still need to hear the gospel. You will still need to hear the gospel. You will still need to hear the gospel and hear it often. You preach it to yourself every morning. I've told you that, haven't I? You need to preach the gospel to yourself. To stir up your conviction. Romans chapter 1 verse 16. Romans chapter 1 verse 16. It should be up on the screen, is it? Read together, one, two, go. Read it again with conviction. One to go. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. He said, I'm not ashamed. Why did he say that? Because there are circumstances and instances where you, you'll be tempted to pretend as if what you believe is not what you believe. When people challenge you and say, you mean to tell me that this, that, that. Own it. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. That no matter what country you travel to, no matter what your conviction is there, you stand for what you believe. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why? It's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. This is good stuff. This is powerful. How can I be ashamed? I'm not ashamed. Say that with me, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Hallelujah. It's something to practice. The boldness to talk about what you believe, to say it. This is what I believe. Nobody ever shaped the culture being silent. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. You, we are here today because others in our past were audible and bold. Don't do this great disservice to your generation, to your children, to be silent. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. The gospel is so greatly misrepresented in this country, in the world. Why? Because the people who know better are silent. For weird reasons, in the name of peace, peace at the expense of the salvation of others, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. The power of God unto salvation. That's our emphasis. Money is not the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. The gospel is. Hallelujah. You know the word translated gospel in the Greek is euangelion. Euangelion, you know a lot of people say gospel means good news. Yeah, well you're right. But it actually means news too good to be true. 
like a kind of news that if you heard it, it would be hard for you to believe because of how lofty and how beautiful it is. You mean to tell me, really? Something so great, I get to partake of it in such a simple manner? To God to be true. Listen, this word is so grandiose and so luxurious that apart from the Bible, there are only two other manuscripts that the word was ever used outside the Bible. You know, of course, the Bible is not the owner of Greek. Greek is, it was a language, you know, and the biggest language in that day. And so only two other manuscripts were found to use that word. And someone says, because there were not too many instances in the world where you can say, this is too good to be true. But the gospel is. The gospel is. So when someone tells you, you can live forever, you mean it. You mean it. I can live forever. What do I do to live forever? Just tell me. Just tell me. Just tell me. You mean that I don't, it doesn't always have to be a sad thing that someone leaves the world. Death can just be a transition, a door to another greater life, a greater experience. Okay, so what do I have to do? Do I sell all I have? You know, is there, you know, do I have to be a monk? You know, just believe. You know, no, that's too good to be true. You, you mean to tell me? You mean to tell me all I have to do is believe? I don't have to shave my hair. I don't wear to wear. I don't get to wear sack clothing. I should believe. Ah, oh. that's too good to be true. That we will live forever. We will live forever. That when our spirits are separated from this body, it's just temporal. In fact, Paul said to depart is better. Think about that. Think about, listen, this guy was not preaching a sermon per se. He was writing a letter from prison. You know when you're preaching a sermon, you can say things just for it to sound nice. But if you are in prison and you're saying, you are, I'm in a fix betwixt two. To depart and be with Christ is far better. But to stay here is beneficial to you. You know he knows what he's saying. He really believed. That death would be better. That death can lose its thing because of the gospel. Death is no longer powerful. That even persecutors, they hear what you believe and they're angry about it and they want to extinguish you, separate you from your faith and by Killing you, they unite you forever with the object of your faith. Death has lost its thing. And all of this just by believing. Now that's too good to be true. But it's the gospel. It's the gospel. How can you be ashamed of that? Don't be. Say that again with me. Say, I'm not ashamed. Say it again. Say, I'm not ashamed. No matter where you travel to, it doesn't have to be popular to be embraced. It only has to be true. 
No matter where you go. In some rooms, being a believer might portray you as a stupid person. That's why he said, I am not ashamed. Because he has already anticipated that there will be situations you will find yourself in and the temptation to be ashamed will be there. So it's a conviction to have ahead of time. Yes, this is what I believe. I know exactly what I believe. Glory to God. But you can be in church for so long and not know. Like Nicodemus. Very interesting story. Let's, let's run through that story briefly. John chapter 3. The Bible says that there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. He came to Jesus secretly. He said, Rabbi, I know you're a great teacher because no one can do these great miracles except God is with him. And Jesus interjects and says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom. He's talking to a Pharisee, very upright man, does his best to be polite, at least for his reputation. Doesn't drink, doesn't smoke, good boy. Doesn't fail in his tithing. But all of that, as noble as they are, they don't save. Are you with me? And so he says, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom. And I've told you, this alone is one of the most powerful presentations of, of the gospel. Because by telling you, except a man be born, I'm intrinsically telling you, there is nothing you can do by your power to get what I'm talking about. Because how can a man be born? So as stupid as Nicodemus' response was, it was proof that he was understanding it. How can a man be born when he is old? Be born. How is that an instruction? I am the product of my parents' affection. I didn't contribute to that. They didn't consult me. So when you say be born, how do I do that? Well, that's the point. Nothing you can do. Just receive. Nothing you can do. Just receive. Receive. And Jesus understood that he was thinking in terms, in carnal terms, in natural terms. And he said, he that is born of the flesh is flesh. He that is born of the spirit is spirit. Except a man be born of water, which is the spirit. Water was used as a symbol for the spirit. A lot of people think he was talking about water baptism and spiritual baptism. It's silly. Come on. We just need to study properly. He used water consistently to talk about the spirit. Don't forget in the next chapter, he saw a woman by the well and he asked for water. And when she was surprised that he was conversing with her, he said, you know, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to you, give me water, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The water that you should drink, you, you drink, if you drink it, you will thirst again. But the water that I shall give you, if you drink it, you will never thirst. It shall be a well springing up to what? Everlasting life. So that's what water is a metaphor for. Everlasting life in the spirit. Not too long after, in John chapter 7, verse 37, the Bible says, In the last day, the great day of the feast, he stood and cried with a loud voice, If any man thirst, let him come to me and drink. He that 
the, he that believes, and that's what drinking is, believe, right? He that believes, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow gorgeous, gorgeous fountains of living water. And the Bible says, this spake he of the spirit, which them that believe should receive. So when he was talking about water, he was talking about the spirit. And that's why even in John chapter 3, after he said water and the spirit, he didn't mention water anymore. He said, he that is born of the flesh is flesh. He that is born of the spirit is spirit. He, 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 he used the wind to describe someone born of the spirit. You can feel the impact. You can tell where it's coming from. So is he that is born of the spirit. No mention of water anymore. Praise the Lord. Water was a symbol of the Spirit. And then we come to verse 16. Very popular, but still, we've not really sucked all the depth and the wealth of that verse. And we just want to do that this morning. Everybody, John 3.16, I know you know it by heart. Quote it with me, one, two, go. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Hallelujah. The body of Christ will be a lot stronger if we understood this simple verse. This verse that we despise out of familiarity. But there are key words here. I can't go through all of them. I'll just pick some key words. I want to talk about the word gave. He gave his only begotten son. So we'll talk about gave. We'll talk about only begotten. We'll talk about the expression so loved. We'll just talk about that. Hallelujah. First of all, he says he gave. If you don't read in context, you will misunderstand what he's saying. You would think he's talking about the birth of Jesus. Oh, he gave him to the world to be born. No. Oh, yes, he did give him to be born. It was by the agency of the Spirit that the incarnation came to be, that the birth of Jesus came to be. But that's not what he's talking about. In the previous verses, he said, as Moses lifted up the brazen serpent in the wilderness, so shall the Son of Man be lifted up. So he was talking about the crucifixion that Jesus was going to die. Please, are you with me? He was talking about the death of Jesus. Look at it from verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life for God's soul of the world. That he gave. So he's talking about the giving of the son to die. It is by the permission of, Jesus, of God that Jesus died. You see, this is one of the major ob objections of Islam to the message of the gospel. They say, how will God allow his prophet to be killed? God will always defend his own. How would he? Simple answer. Because he loves you. The answer is so simple. Because he loves you. Until it was time Jesus could not be killed. He could not be killed. 
At some point, in one instance, he was preaching. They were angry. They picked up stones to kill him. And then, you know, what happened after? You know, a lot of theologians, they hit their heads against each other to try to understand it because it's just so simple. It was simply a miracle. A mob is coming against you to stone you. The Bible says he walked in the midst of them unseen. He just, he just walked past them and went. Hallelujah. Night crawler things. <laughs> cool stuff. I mean, this is the person when soldiers came to arrest him, he said, Whom do you seek? He said, Jesus of Nazareth. He said, It is I. The Bible says they fell to the ground. They fell to the ground. So if he didn't want to be arrested, he wouldn't be. He said, my father has given me this right to lay down my life and to pick it back up. Meaning, I'm only going to be killed because I'm laying this life down. I'm surrendering myself. What type of man is this? That as he was about to be arrested, Peter drew a sword. Cut the ear of one of the soldiers. He picked the ear, put it back. He was in control. He was in control. He was not overpowered. You need to understand this. He was not overpowered at all. He surrendered himself. He knew they were coming. He knew who was going to betray him, don't forget. He knew that too. He had time to run away if he wanted to. Hallelujah. Isaiah prophesied this. He said, as a sheep before the shearers is dumb, he opened not his mouth. At any time, he could have just spoken, asked for angels to whisk him out of there. He could have changed his mind. But he did not. He stood before Pilate, Pilate, you know, in his braggadocious you know, man, I was trying to say, you know, if you talk to me like nicely, I can let you go. And he said, do you not think that I can ask my father to send 12 legions of angels to get me out of here? So at any point in time, he could have changed his mind. But he went through the pain and the shame just for me. Did you hear what I said? He went through it for me. I was on his mind that day. Hallelujah. As they spat on him, I was on his mind. As they used the whips on his back, I was on his mind. As he was stripped of his clothing, I was on his mind. As the nails were driven in his wrist, I was on his mind. As the thorns, or that, that crown of thorns were placed and pierced his, his skull and his scalp, I was on his mind. He took the pain for me. Like the song says, he took the fall and thought of me. He thought of you. That's why he did it. You may never understand the humiliation. Listen, especially in this part of the world, if you go out there and you see a mother spanking her three-year-old son, pa, pa, I've told you not to do that. Say, well, 
must have done something wrong. You don't even feel shame for the boy. But when you see them spanking an adult, maybe a married man with kids outside, and they're beating him, now you feel for him. They're removing his clothes. They're marching him around the neighborhood. You need to picture this. Then imagine he's not just a man, a full-grown adult. He's also a famous person, someone you know. He's embarrassed that way. They strip his clothes. They're marching him around. You, you have to understand, it was not indoors. Golgotha was like the cheapest, most common place in that, in that time. It was like Oshodi in Lagos. And not just Golgotha, a hill there. They put a stake and they hang him. So everybody is seeing him. Listen, this mode of execution was created for criminals. So it was designed for shame. So that everybody could see. And children will be warned, you see. This is how you end up if you, if you, stole, if you steal meat, if you keep stealing. That's how it was designed. And the Son of God was subjected to that. Can I tell you something? Even if he was not going to be killed, it was bad enough. Can I tell you something? Some people, if they go through that, they would rather be killed. How do you walk through the neighborhood after that day? After that day. David was not even being beaten. He was just dancing, praising God. His, wife, his own wife couldn't take it. He said, now. He said, David. He said, nobody has to imagine what your chest looks like anymore. Embarrass this whole family. <laughs> His own wife couldn't take it. Hallelujah. Think of what he went through for you. Say thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You see, he's called only begotten Greek word monogenes actually means uniquely born. It was a description of his birth. Unlike any other human being that came to the world, he was born of a virgin. He was unique in his birth. And why did that happen? So that he won't take off the fault of Adam. He can be a worthy sacrifice. He can be a substitute. Because if he had come the way everyone came, his death would only be sufficient for his own sins. Do you understand what I'm saying? And that's why as a metaphor, of this lamb of God in the old covenant, they brought a lamp that was without spots or wrinkles. You know, it had to be a spotless and white lamb. Spotless. That was their own way of showing dramatically what Christ was going to come and do. Born of a virgin. Hallelujah. So the Bible calls him only begotten son, only begotten, unique in his birth. He had to be only begotten to be given for you. Hallelujah. And when he died and he rose again, 
the Bible ceased to call him only begotten. The Bible began to call him first begotten. He's not the only son of God anymore. You know, there are some songs we still sing in ignorance. Jesus, not the only son of... No, you don't sing that. That's not true. Hallelujah. I'm a son of God. Are you? Oh, you too. Uh, that makes both of us. He's not the only anymore. He was once only and unique in the incarnation. But he's first in the resurrection. Hallelujah. The writer of Hebrews said he has brought many sons to glory. He brought us to where he is. He has brought us into sonship. He said in my father's house there are many dwelling places. I go to prepare a place for you. His death prepared us a place. He made us temples. I'm coming to that. The habitation of God by the spirit. I'm a son of God. Hallelujah. So he was only begotten so that he can be first begotten. He has brought us into sonship. Say that he has brought me into sonship. Hallelujah. So much to say about that. I'm going to hold that thought and continue. But now, the Bible says, for God so loved the world. And, you know, we forget that the Bible was not originally written in English. In fact, someone put it this way. He said, Jesus never spoke English. You know, I, I just like that presentation. I said, oh, that's true. Never spoke English. Paul never spoke English. Hallelujah. And so, you have to understand that in the translation, some of the nuances might be lost. And so you have to study properly to understand what is being said. Now, you know, it's just like when you're reading the Bible and it says, be not deceived. Evil communication corrupts good manners. You know, what is communication in English? Speaking. You know, so you're like, ah, if I talk too much, I'll become a bad person. <laughs> but what was translated communication actually means association. <laughs> Are you getting what I'm saying? That was a simple example. You know, so when it says, for God so loved the world in English, oh, he so loves me. Hey, so, so. <laughs> So you know, and he does. Make no mistake, he does. But that's not what it's saying. The Greek word translated so is hutu. Don't worry about that. And it means in this way. In this way. The first time it was used in the New Testament, it was talking about the story of the birth of Jesus. He says, now the narrator, Matthew, is saying, the birth of Jesus was on this wise. Was like this. Like this. Or thus. So he's saying, God Thus loved the world. God, by so doing, loved the world. He gave his only begotten. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. So he's telling you that the death of Jesus 
is the demonstration of the love of God. Let's look at other places where that word was used. Time is fast spent, so I'll just breeze through this. Are you learning anything? First John chapter 4 verse 9 First John chapter 4 was written by the same person who wrote John 3.16. The same person who wrote that book is writing this. And it says, in this was manifest the love of God towards us. Because God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Is that similar to John 3.16 or not? But instead of saying God so loved, he said, in this was manifest. Meaning this is the manifestation of the love of God. He sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Hearing his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and he sent his son to be propitiation for our sins. Verse 11, everybody want to go. Beloved, if God so loved. Do you understand that? That's, you understand the use of the so. If God, by doing this, loved us. That's God so loved. God, by so doing. First John 3.16 you know, I like the fact that it is by the same author, same chapter, same verse, different book. It says, hereby perceive we the love of God. Another way of saying God so loved. Come on. Do you see that? Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us. The death of Jesus is the demonstration of the Father's love for you. Someone says, why is that important? Because, you know, sometimes you say, God so loves me. He loves me. And sometimes you're not really sure. You say, he so loves me. <laughs> and I don't even know. Hallelujah. But when you understand that the death of Jesus is God's everlasting demonstration of his love. And that cannot be undone. Yeah. Now, your conviction of God's love is constant. It's not wavering. He gave his son to die for me. I'll never doubt his love. I'll never doubt his love. He has given me his best. I'll never doubt his love. Hallelujah. So we move from an emotional conviction of the love of the father to a revelational conviction. He gave his son to die for me. He loves me. I'll never doubt that. that. He loves me. He proved it on the cross. Glory to his name. But he did all of this, that whosoever believes in him should not perish. I wish I had enough time to dwell on this verse well. But I'm just going to move on with time. But have everlasting life. You don't have everlasting life when you die. It says, whosoever believes would what? Have. Glory to God. Well, do you believe? Say, I have. Everlasting life. Everlasting well, how do you know? Were you given keys or a certificate when you, when you believed the gospel? How do you have everlasting life? Is it in your pocket? How do you have everlasting life? By the Spirit. By the Spirit. The moment the Holy Spirit came into your heart upon believing the gospel, that's everlasting life. Now you will never die. The Bible says, if the spirit of him that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he that raised Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal body. So the spirit that you have received is the agent of the resurrection. Yes. 
The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. The spirit of him that raised Jesus from the dead. That's eternal life. To have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. You need to know how special this is. This never happened prior. The Holy Ghost dwelling in people, in men. People try to build temples for God. Oh, God is going to dwell here. God lives here. He never dwelt in any temple made with hands. He was waiting for you. For your body to be prepared. Hallelujah. Can I tell you something? The interesting thing is even Solomon. Listen, if you're not a student of the Bible, you need to start reading your Bible this year. The Bible is so awesome. Even Solomon knew that God was not going to dwell in the temple he built. Solomon knew. You know, for a long time, I thought it was a New Testament revelation. He thought God was there, but God was not there. But even Solomon knew. I want to read that to you. First Kings chapter 8. First Kings chapter 8. Oh, Vraktosashe stays. From verse 27 to 30. I'm going to read it from the screen. Can we have it projected? All right. So now, he's about to dedicate the temple. And he's praying a prayer. And he says, but will God indeed dwell on the earth? Even he knows, a man of the senses, he knows. God dwell on the earth? That someone can say, that's God's address. You go to this street, take a right turn, take a left turn, you see God there. This is weird, will God dwell on the earth? Behold, the heaven and the heavens of the heavens cannot contain thee. How much less this house that I have built it? He said, even the heavens. You know, the Bible says, he humbles himself to behold the things of the heavens. It's humility. He says, how much more this temple that I've built it? He says, yet have thou respect unto the prayer of thy servant. And to this supplication, O Lord my God, to hearken unto the cry and to the prayer which thy servant prayed unto thee this day. He said, I know you can't dwell here, but this is what I just want to ask you. Verse 29, that your eye may be open towards this house. Do you see the difference? I just look on this house. Even towards the place which thou hast said, my name shall be there. That thou mayest hearken unto the prayer which thy servant shall pray towards this place. Verse 30, and hearken down to the supplication of thy servant and to thy people Israel, that when they shall pray towards this place, we shall hear from heaven. You shall hear where? So where is he? <laughs> you see that? So even Solomon knew he's not going to stay there. Are you with me? Yeah. They built temples. A lot of great stuff happened there. The Shekinah glory will come in the cloud, but God was not there. God was not there. Then a man comes on the scene. His name is Jesus. He's talking different. He says, the Bible calls him the begotten son of God. He says, he dwells in the bosom of the father. How? He said, I am in the father and the father is in me. How? The mystery is simple. If the father is in you, you are in the father. How do you get in the father when the father is in you? That's the mystery. 
And so he's saying, the father that dwelleth in me does the work. The first person, human, to ever house God. <laughs> Hallelujah. Do you know what it means to be son of God? To be son of God means to have the responsibility to reveal God to the world by the indwelling presence of the Spirit. That's what it means to be son of God. To have the responsibility to reveal God to the world by the indwelling presence of the Spirit. If you are son of God, it means two things. Number one, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Number two, it has become your responsibility to reveal. So listen, you have become a dispenser of the presence of God. That's what it means to be son of God. So Jesus said, ah, Philip, you're saying, show us the Father. What have I been doing? What have I been doing? Don't you know that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? You're not with me. Oh, glory to God. Hallelujah. How then are you saying, show us the Father? I'm in the Father and the Father is in me. He says, never, don't worry. In my Father's house, there are many mansions. <laughs> I'm going to prepare a place for you. He says, at that day, you will know that I am in the Father, the Father is in me, and I in you, and you in me. Hallelujah. Meaning it will become your responsibility also to display God to the world. That the evidence of the existence of God and his Christ will not be the empty tomb, but his indwelling presence in your heart. Hallelujah. And so Paul says we are ambassadors for Christ. He said God does beseech us by you. God does beseech you by us. Hallelujah. Everywhere I go, it is my responsibility to reveal God to the world. My privilege, he dwells in me. I'm the temple of God. I have become God's address. Hallelujah. God's address, he dwells in me. Hallelujah. Not in some temple in Jerusalem. He dwells in me, glory to God. What Solomon was trying to achieve has been accomplished in me. Did you hear what I'm saying? No need to look for glory anywhere. It's not on a mountain. It's not in any ocean. It's not in any venue. It's in people. I house him. I'm his home. His glory within me glows. Don't you understand me? I said I house him. I'm his home. And his glory within me glows. I'm his temple. Glory to God. This is the summary of what Christ has done. He came to give us his spirit. He came to make us sons. God, in every religion in the world, man is looking for God. But in Christ, God came into man. Did you hear what I said? In every religion in the world, they're saying, what can I do? What can I do? What can... But when it all comes down to it, you can only know God if he reveals himself to you. And he has revealed himself in his Christ. And he has come to dwell in us. 
If you're here and you're not born again, if you will believe in him, you have eternal life. His spirit will dwell in you. All those habits that you've been trying, battling to stop. Ezekiel prophesied, he said, he would take away the stony heart out of your flesh. All those negative propensities, he would separate it from you. He will give you a heart of flesh. Hallelujah. Having that prophetic word for this brother, you don't have to run away anymore. He's calling you. You've made many mistakes. Made many mistakes in relationship. It still haunts you. You act like you're okay, but it still haunts you. Now, three ladies have aborted for you. It still haunts you. You know he's calling you. He's calling you. Your parents are worried. They have plans for you. But he's calling you. Let his love reach out to you today. Hallelujah. If you're here and you're a believer already, which I believe most of us are, this is the best news in the world. We have to tell the untold. Hallelujah. We have to reach the unreached. We have to tell them, God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's good news. Let me interest you. Who was speaking in John 3.16? You're not sure. Jesus was speaking. And he said, God so loved the world, he gave. At the time he was talking, was the son giving? Not yet. It was not, it had not happened yet. Listen, this is a school on sonship. Most of the things Jesus said were promissory. When he told that woman, the water that I shall give you, if you drink it, you will never thirst. That water was not yet available because he had not yet been raised from the dead. When he said in John 7, 37, if any man thirst, let him come and drink. Literally, nobody could come to drink because, listen, he said this picky of the spirit, which them that believe should receive. It was in the future. But he spoke as if it was a present reality. This is the mystery of sonship. You know that you are functioning in the name of God and you are inevitable. You speak as if it has already happened. It's going to happen anyway. So I, I can tell you the plan is available. You can as well believe it now. Are you with me? As we carry out this message on the earth, we are inevitable. He said we should go and teach all nations. We will. We will. We will. I've been talking like this since school. Even from the first meeting when we were five, I said we would take the gospel to the nations of the world. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Get involved. Get involved. Get involved. This is a bigger dream than any other dream you have in the world. Yeah, by all means, start that business. 
by all means, get married and have children. But take this message everywhere you go. There is a call on your life, brother. There's a call on your life, sister. Refuse to be ordinary. Do you hear what I'm saying? It has become your privilege to display God to the world. That because of you, the people around you will not doubt the existence of God. Display his power to the world. Hallelujah. You know, a lady shared a testimony in the Lagos church. She had fibro the size of a cup. She had added weight. People thought she was overeating. It was not. She had a growth inside her. Something was growing. She became 85 kg because of a growth inside her. The final day of reboot camp, she had written all her prayer requests. And I walked to her. She said, she was telling me the story. She wanted to show me. I said, don't worry. Do you believe? She said, I said, I believe. And I laid hands on her. She said, she fell to the floor. Now, <laughs> she's, she's not really a great faith person. So she went to the hospital because what she was carrying had to be managed. So they had to do scans often, you know, and then to give new drugs and give advice regularly. So she just went there. And the doctor checked, checked, checked. He said, the doctor said, there is nothing. Listen. This is the same hospital she had been going to. Every hospital has a case file. So all the other scans that showed the growth were still in that file. And now the doctor, so she was the one saying, what do you mean? Check well now. The doctor, out of anger, turned the screen to her and said, see. And she looked at it. The doctor said, all we can see here are particles. She said, you don't have fibro. And I said, she was looking at the screen. Look at what, what, what do you do with yourself? What do you say? What do you, so, so I asked her, you know, listen. When she was telling me this story, her wedding was just three days away. She had to, she wanted to fast track her wedding so that they can manage this fibro before it gets out of hand. You know, she, they had already scared, they had bought their tickets to spend honeymoon in India so that they can also do operation. Are you with me? In India, they had already bought tickets and now she's healed. So she said, Pastor, I'm just going there to chill with my husband. <laughs> Hallelujah. This God is alive. Show it with your life. It's your destiny. Show it with your life. Thank you for listening. We are sure that you have been blessed. For inquiries, reach us on our helpline 0809-996-7000. Blessings.